Welcome to another episode of our digitally remastered old-time radio shows from SolvedMystery.com. Visit our website for complete collections of your favorite old-time radio series. Remember to follow us so you won't miss new releases from SolvedMystery.com. that somebody has let the side down by descending to a little blackmailing or perhaps a touch of arson. In fact, going off the rails is usually taken as a sign of being not quite straight. I'm using the term, however, in quite a different sense. Today I'm going to tell you something about criminals who, when they're off the rails, are on the rails. Perhaps that sounds a little ambiguous. Let me put it in a simpler way. This program is about the kind of crime and the kind of criminal who is most at home on the railway. Secrets of Scotland Yard program with a few facts about robbery on the railway. In 1938, claims against the railways for stolen goods cost them about 180,000 pounds. Today, similar claims are costing over two and a half million pounds a year. As an inspector of the railway police, I've got a fact I'm particularly proud about. All the same, it goes to prove that robbery on the railways is a growing business. Our job is to stop it growing. Almost half the claims were for the theft of tobacco, wine, spirits, textiles, boots and shoes, articles which have the greatest black market value. Investigating them is taking up much of the working time of more than 1,000 railway officials. Moving in? Moving over Who's that to do with you? On a railway for it. Oh, is that so? Let's have a look at that badge of yours. Here, let's go, my cake. I think you'd better come along. Oh, no, you don't. Mr. 
phrase has ceased to be a proper description of railway thieving. Wholesale looting is the only term appropriate. The railway police estimate that about 60% of the looting is carried out by organised gangs, usually not more than six in number. Scotland Yard has met cunning with cunning, but those who specialise in robbery on the railway are always up to new tricks. Now listen to this story. It occurred not so long ago. A goods train was puffing slowly up an incline on its run from Nottingham to Chesterfield. Standing by a plate-laying hut at the crest of the hill, you might have seen a small gang of workmen. Apparently, they were waiting for the train to pass before resuming work on the line. All right, chaps. It's the fifth van after the engine. Remember? The fifth van. Charlie, Jim, wait till I get the word jump. Just the way we rehearsed it. Okay, Jack. Pass me a crowbar. There you are. Now, give us a hand. There we go. Ah, that's got it. Now go on in we go. Go right through for those doors gone. Once inside the van, which contained hundreds of pounds worth of cigarettes, the gang got to work. As soon as the train left the tunnel, they pushed open the door and threw down the embankment over a million cigarettes packed neatly in cartons, and here comes the organization. Waiting on the road by the side of the embankment were a couple of lorries. All right, boys, get busy. Go on there, load them up. were missing until the train was a hundred miles further up the line. Obviously, the men who boarded the train must have had a good idea what was in the van. They knew exactly where the train would slow down, and they calculated the whole job in such a way, proving they were professionals at the game. These men got away with it. But it doesn't always go that way. Listen to this case. It took place a few months ago, late one night in one of London's largest good yards. The Cricklewood siding. Hey, anybody about? Who's that? Oh, evening, watchman. Evening, mate. Sorry to be so late, chum. I'm afraid you'll have to open up these gates. What's the idea? It's half past twelve. Oh, I know that, mate. But there's a load in one of these vans in the siding which is wanted extra special. And if we don't get it down to the box by six o'clock tomorrow morning, somebody's going to lose a few thousand pounds. Mm, we'll have to see your papers. Ah, don't you worry. Everything's in order. Yeah, take a look at this. Mm, it seems all right. You've got permission? Well, that's what it says. All right, I'll open up. Well, don't be long about it. Come on, then.
Tommy. Uh, come on now, open up these gates. Oh, hold on a moment. I've got some friends to see you. Yeah, what do you mean, friends? Hello, Jim. Friends are meeting you. Look out, boys! Look out! Yes, it was the Ruzzers, the police to you and me. And as the inspector says, the boot was on the other foot. The watchman felt suspicious about the whole thing, and he'd contacted the railway police. He was right. They were stolen goods, and the papers were forged. Seven men were picked up in a fight which followed, but the leader got away. Of course, not all railway robberies are as ambitious and were organized as the two you've just heard about. The simplest, and not one of the most effective methods of looting, has been for railway employees to stick false labels on parcels and packages in transit. One importer readdressed parcels to his own home. A relabeling conspiracy at Waterloo Station was broken up through the vigilance of an employee.
Before turning to the organization of the railway piece, let's take a few more examples of crime on the railway. In a railway yard in Scotland one time, whole truckloads of coal were systematically rerouted to the yard of a small merchant who was in the swim. Four porters at Woking took advantage of a consignment to set up a nylon emporium and sell the stockings through station taxi drivers. Railway police bored two holes in a wooden fence by a railway arch in Southwark and watched loot worth 2,500 pounds being carried into a thieves' den. Nine men and a woman were convicted. One man had a puppy in a crate which began barking and the police overheard him say, shut up, you'll have to get used to being here. Now listen to the story of just an ordinary member of the railway police. He was on duty at a goods yard at Burton-on-Trent one dark evening. His name was Railway Police Constable Robert Cameron. Hi there! Who you want? I'd like to take a look at that lawyer, if you don't mind. What right have you got? I'm a member of the Railway Police. Yes, I don't care if you're a member of the Marines. Why the night? Uh, you'll still have to stop, I'm afraid. Oh, will I? Oh. Come on, boys. Try him up. I'm leaving that shed over there. He feigned unconsciousness while he was dragged into a warehouse and tied up. When the thieves had gone, leaving the whiskey behind, he struggled free and crawled to a shunter's cabin. Today, Railway Police Constable Robert Cameron wears the British Empire Medal. Perhaps the most amusing conclusion to any incident of pure pilferage was an occasion when a portrait crew danced into a mirror one Sunday and saw a man in a quiet corner of another platform undo his braces and turn slowly round and round. A chase down a lane followed until the man's trousers fell to the ground and he halted sheepishly in his underpants with ring upon ring of twist tobacco stolen from a crate in the station wound round his middle. Police officers at Houston saw two men in porters' uniforms examining goods loaded on barrels ready for dispatch and knew that neither was employed in handling parcels traffic. While they watched, one of the men removed labels from three barrels, which the second man then transferred to a smaller barrel. This was wheeled out to a point near the station cloakroom. The man walked away, but returned a few minutes later with two other men who began loading the barrels into a waiting motor car. All were arrested. The barrels were worth 300 pounds. Before the British Railways were nationalized, each company maintained its own police force, led in many cases by ex-members of Scotland Yard. Today, the Railway Police is a complete force of its own charged with the particular responsibility of policing and protecting thousands of buildings and many thousands of miles owned by British Railways. The men who discharge this duty undergo a special training. They learn most of the tricks we've told you about today in this program, and they cooperate with the regular police force and Scotland Yard to put a stop to every form of crime on the railways. Perhaps the most unpopular of all railway criminals are those who play for the high stakes and endeavor to rob His Majesty's mails. Of course, there were some classic mailbag robberies of the past, but today's stories read like fiction. A £10,000 mailbag theft last year from a Glasgow-Euston train remains unsolved. The empty bags were found on an embankment 70 yards away. The disappearance of nearly £40,000 in £5 and £1 notes in transit between a city bank and Scotland is still being investigated. A litter bag containing £6,000 vanished during a 60-minute road and rail journey between Liverpool and Wigan. 
And when a packet which had contained 2,000 pounds for a Manchester bank was opened, the contents had miraculously changed to wooden blocks. To be strictly accurate, the theft of mail bags comes under the general post office and is not really the railway's responsibility. But it's their worry all the same. Here's the story of one of the most classic of mailbag robberies of all time. The scene is one of the sorting vans on a world-famous night mail train. Leaving Euston Station in London every evening just before midnight, it reaches Scotland the following morning. While most of Britain is asleep, this train speeds through the heart of the country. The nerve center of the train is the sorting band, where almost a hundred men are at work all night sorting Scottish mail picked up at London and dividing it up into the various regional areas so that when it reaches Scotland, it will be ready for distribution in the big Scottish cities by the second delivery that morning. Most of the men who work on this train have been in the service of the GPO for a number of years, but naturally from time to time there is a new face among them. Take tonight, for instance, the young fellow over there at the rack in the corner. He's only been on the jump for a few weeks, and he's just qualified to work on his own without the guidance of an older sorter. Edinburgh, Aberdeen, Glasgow, Inverness, Edinburgh. One by one, he sorts the postal packets into the pigeonholes in front of him. Monotonous work, but still demanding all his attention. But tonight, this young sorter is not really thinking about his job. He's thinking about something else. Inverness. Aberdeen, oh, five minutes to two, five miles to go, and then... Yes, five minutes to go, and then... Where's the two? Where's the two, boys? Together with half of the sorters in the corridor, our young friend moves into the next car, where a primitive canteen is set up and cups of tea are being poured out. He makes some excuse and moves on further down the car. Perhaps he's going to wash his hands, or... Perhaps it has taken three months of plotting and planning to obtain that key. The key to the van which contains the registered mail. He worked quickly, three bags and no more he took out. But those bags had been chosen carefully. The contents were known to be negotiable banknotes, a rich prize. Now comes the cleverest part of the trick. Three other bags, in appearance precisely the same as the original registered mail bags had been concealed by our friend in a suitcase which he had brought aboard the train. The exchange was made and the mail van locked up once again. Everything seemed perfect. When the train came into Glasgow station, it looked as if nothing would go wrong. Good evening. Good evening. You are Robert Staunton, aren't you? That's right. I wonder if I can trouble you to come along to the office for a few minutes. What do you want me for? Well, just a few words. Mm, bring that case along with you. Yes, yes sir. Come on in. Now, Mr. Staunton, would you mind opening up that case for me? How do you know? Well, this is the one question I cannot answer. You see... If I told you, you'd not believe me. And how did he know? It was really very simple. But as you've learned from these programs, 
It's the simple things that make the Crooks game a mug's game. Obviously, the railway realizes that GPO sorters on the trains, if they should have crooked disposition, have a number of opportunities for putting some original ideas into practice. For that reason, every new sorter while he's training is screened very thoroughly by the railway police or the GPO. Our friend Staunton and his companions took all the obvious precautions. Trouble was, one of the precautions was just a little too obvious. Mr. Staunton had given his address during his training period as a lodging house in London. As a routine matter, the police checked up on his character with his landlady. His landlady, dear soul, had given him an excellent character and had mentioned, as a matter of fact, that Staunton had frequent visits from his widowed mother. The widowed mother was a bit of camouflage for Mr. Staunton to compact his companions. Unfortunately, in his original application for the job, Mr. Staunton had described himself as an orphan. Starting from that very small fact, the railway piece had spun a long line of thread which led eventually to the station master's office in Glasgow and the arrest of Staunton. Just another crook who thought that the way to easy money was along the railway lines. I'd like to add a historic note. Of course, there has been crime on the railways ever since there were railways, which is well over a hundred years. Who was the first railway criminal? Well, no one could say for certain. But I can tell you about one of the very first men to realize the possibility of crime on the railways and what happened to him. It was long, long ago when a trip by train was still a great event. Passengers traveled in open cars, which today we would consider little better than trucks. The guard wore a top hat and the engine driver wore one too. The most unpleasant part of the journey was when the train came to a tunnel. But there were no lights in the carriages. Worse still, there were no windows. So they, so they soon filled up with smoke and grime. And you can imagine the coughing and confusion. Well, it was this very confusion which gave our friend, a pioneer in his class, the great idea. You see, his profession was that of a pickpocket, And it occurred to him that never was there greater opportunity to practice his craft than aboard one of these newfangled railway trains when he'd entered a long tunnel. He went about it very carefully. He studied the trains and the passengers from all angles, and for some time pursued a most successful career. Everybody was far too concerned with their comfort to notice his activities, and as facts were reported, it was far too late to do anything about it. Then, at last, the railway company decided that they had to take some action regarding the numerous complaints they were getting. To every poison there's an antidote, and to every crime there's an answer. Well, just as usual, our friend the pickpocket boarded a train one day, little knowing that he was followed by a detective employed by the company. Off went the train, they came to the tunnel, and our friend prepared to go about his business. He turned his attention to the man sitting next to him, a big, well-dressed, but simple-looking gentleman who he picked out as a likely-looking victim. His hand was busy obstructing a solid-looking watch from his pocket, and suddenly there was a terrific roar of steam on the engine, and then a sudden flash of light. And what is it? The engine driver had no sooner entered the tunnel than, on Pillow's plan, he reversed and come out again. And as for the simple-looking gentleman, there, you're right, he was the detective. Ah, dear, the way of a pioneer was always a hard one, and our friend's case proves that there's no exception to the rule. As I told you, not all railway crime is quite so ambitious. In the percent of railway cases, the word pilferage is applicable. There have been too many examples of criminal fiber women, some of whom have sacrificed 30 to 40 years' service and pension rights for thefts of soap 
a packet of chocolate, or a pair of stockings. An engine driver took coal from his engine to swap for eggs. A manuslug guard rifled suitcases in the vent and regularly threw stolen goods into his own garden as the train passed his lineside home. Fur coats, typewriters, vacuum cleaners, and a piano accordion were among the goods pilfered in 1948. Out of 8,585 larceny prosecutions by the railway police last year, 2,287 were at Lola Thus, three outsiders were convicted to every one railway man. Statistically, this means that only one of every 300 rail workers is found guilty of theft. I believe that, don't you? And just because this program has told you about some of the crimes that run on the railways, I hasten to add that a trip by a railway in Britain is one of the safest ways of travelling. But uh, while you're about it, keep an eye on your bag. After all, if everybody were just a little more careful, most of the crooks in this world would be looking for new ways of earning their living. And it would just help to avoid that temptation to go off the rails. Thank you for joining us and enjoying our digitally remastered old-time radio shows from SolvedMystery.com. Please remember to leave us a review and to follow us for frequent releases.